Well, this story's been kind of making headlines for the last uh, little, you know, couple of days. A cartoonist out of uh, Nova Scotia uh, has now made himself a name right around the world, um, claiming, you know, he had been fired over a Trump cartoon showing the president playing golf over the bodies of two drowned migrants. And the work has been done by Michael Diatter, and he was on uh, with Kelly Cultura earlier today. And, of course, it's caught the whole world's attention because it was uh, inspired by the drowning of this child with her father. And Trump is seen golfing saying, hey, you know, can I just play through? It's it's a it's gross. Um, and while I'm not sure the cartoon is fair, I do I do put cartoonists in a category, you know, that they can break rules. They do break rules. That's why, you know, they're in a unique category. They're supposed to offend. And is this why he was fired? Uh, the New Brunswick paper, which is owned by billionaire Irving family, uh, said no. In fact, they're adamant that this is not the reason he was fired. Uh, but the narrative right now is that uh, Trump is being protected by his one percent of friends and critics are being silent. But, you know, this isn't the first time this particular cartoonist has found himself under fire. Um, he did a cartoon during the old SNC scandal with Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, tied and gagged uh, with Justin Trudeau and Gerald Butts uh, in a boxing ring. And the caption, keep beating her up. Solicitor client privilege has her tied, her hands tied. So that, that that's what he does. Talented, offensive. But should he always be published? Let's ask. J.J. McCullough is, of course, a columnist for The Washington Post, but he just also happens to be a political cartoonist. So this uh, particular issue right in your wheelhouse, um, Michael Diotter is well known, not necessarily for for this cartoon, but he's controversial. And that's, I think, what make, you know cartoonists are supposed to do. Is that not? Yeah, in theory, although I do think that these days, you know, we're kind of in a little bit of a different sort of space. You know, I think we're a bit more sensitive as a culture these days. And I think that cartoonists are increasingly finding themselves in a somewhat sort of difficult position because I do think that political cartoons and sort of the medium that they use to express their political commentary, which is, you know, to say caricatures and, you know, sort of over-the-top depictions of current events, it's it's something that's sort of, uh, you know, I, I think not really super well suited to our current moment of sort of heightened sensitivities. So people maybe are taking political cartoons a lot more literally than they used to, a lot less... Uh, a lot less tendency to sort of view things as metaphorical and a lot more tendency to just view it as a, as a literal depiction. Right. But the bottom line is, as a cartoonist, um, you can write whatever you want and you can you can have the freedom of speech, of expression. But a newspaper or a publication or a radio station or a television, they don't have to buy it. I mean, that is up to them. I know I know a lot of people are, are coming down on Brunswick News, uh, you know, Incorporated, uh, saying, you know, they fired him for this. But but bottom line is we may not like it, but they do have the right to pick and choose what they want. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I completely agree with that. And I think that this is another sort of difficult uh, conversation that a lot of people are sort of struggling with in our present time is just sort of like, well, what is exactly censorship, right? If you are a employee in whatever form, if you're a contract employee if you, or if you're, you know, just a, a regular employee and you say something or express something in your capacity as an employee, whether it's an official, you know, statement like a cartoon or a column or a video or whatever, or just, you know, a casual comment to your boss or whatever, and if they don't like the the nature of that comment that you've made or the content that you produce, and they fire you for it, does that count as censorship? You know, a lot of people 
say that it does, but I don't think that that's an accurate understanding of it at all. You know, when we're employed by any employer, we are sort of entering into a contractual relationship with that employer. We're existing in sort of the realm of private enterprise in which we're working for an employer who, you know, is a representative of the ownership of that company, and they have certain desires to maintain a certain brand or certain image facing the public. And so when you get fired for being, you know, at odds with that image, you know, I think that's, I don't think, I know that that's entirely within the employer's legal rights to do so. Censorship is generally, when we're talking about a government suppressing uh, free political expression, not a private enterprise like a newspaper or a TV station or whatever else. Right. And, and I get the image that, that Mr. Diatta uh, put forward. It, it's a shocking image, of course, a child and, and her father dead and Trump looking as if he wants to, you know, they're in the way of his shot. It, it's an offensive shot, obviously meant to provoke emotion. And it does that. Um, but at the same point, Donald Trump has been the subject of cartoons now, morning, noon, night, 24-7. I mean, I actually find the the topics boring at this point. As a cartoonist, are you uh, in danger if you do the same kind of topic every single time? If it's always Donald Trump at some point, there's a boredom. Is there not? Is there this expectation that let's, you know, give us something different? Yeah, and I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, obviously, Donald Trump's a very fashionable guy to beat up on. And I think that as a result... There starts to there kind of becomes you know this uh, heightened expectation over like what is the next satire of Trump going to be? How can we sort of ratchet it up even further? How can we make our denunciation of Trump even more extreme? How can we make him look like an even bigger monster, an even bigger ghoul? I remember that there was problems with this with uh, with George W. Bush when he was president as well, and then you would the cartoons because you know there was so much hatred for him as well the cartoons gradually just got more and more and more grotesque and horrific you know where it's like literally dripping with blood and like killing children and like this kind of thing and i do think that that is a dangerous thing that cartoonists have to be sensitive to particularly as i said before that we're already sort of in a moment of heightened sensitivity culturally i mean when you're drawing like when you're literally basically arguing that a politician is like a murderer or is insensitive to like literal death, you have to be prepared for the idea that this is going to provoke a public backlash. But I think that some people are just so deep into the sort of the Trump hate that they can't really sort of conceptualize that. To them, this seems like a perfectly reasonable uh, commentary on the president. Right. And so the 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 the. I guess the big cabal are, are all on board. They love this. They're going to support this particular cartoonist. I don't necessarily agree with the, the content because there is a different story uh, with the father and that child, and that is that the father put that little child in grave danger just leaving that child near the water. And and we can have that argument and that debate for another day, sure. Uh, but it's also not the first time that this particular cartoonist has found himself embroiled in, in controversy. There was that image during the SNC scandal where, um, you know, he drew this picture of uh, Justin Trudeau in a boxing ring and it looked like he was punching her out and, and, you know, Gerald Butt saying, you know, look, you gotta, you know, her hands are tied now, go for it. It was offensive and he ended up having to retract and apologize. But he is a freelance cartoonist and it it looks like, because the the paper that he had been doing freelance work for is now saying, well, we didn't fire him because of this this, this cartoon. It wasn't even submitted to us. It's just that he didn't put anything in and we hired somebody else. So somewhere in here is a truth. I'm not sure we're at it yet. Well, you know, it's kind of funny to me because amid all of this kind of hoopla and discussion and social media, you know, preening on both sides, very few people have 
have allowed themselves to entertain the possibility that Michael Deatter just might not be a very good cartoonist. Like, these cartoons just might not be that good. Like, they might just not be expressing commentary in a way that seems particularly reasoned. You know, they might just be over the top, you know, provoking sort of the heightened sensitivities of the public to no real end. And the newspaper or the publishing syndicate that made the decision to cut him, you know, they might just be making a rational conclusion that, look, his cartoons seem to be provoking a lot of controversy. They don't really seem to be that profound. They seem to, like, just truck in a lot of, like, real sort of cheap, sensationalistic imagery to no real end. And so as a result, like, you know, newspapers have a right to make a decision about what sort of works for the brand that they want to put forward to the public. And, you know, it's entirely possible that Michael Deatter's cartoons aren't that great, aren't, you know, worth publishing any further. And so they've made a rational conclusion. I, I again, like it gets into this idea that like Michael Deatter or anyone has like an, an, an unquestioned right to just express themselves in any fashion they want to, and that someone has to pay them for it. That's just not how the world works, I'm afraid. Right. And at first blush, and I'm not artistic, so I look at it and say, well, that's a, obviously this person's very talented. But again, if I'm understanding you, it's like telling a poo-poo joke. They're really funny until they're not funny. And it's like, okay, do you have anything else? Well, yeah. I mean, and I mean, I've, I've been following Michael Deatter's cartoons for a long time. I mean, like so many political cartoons in Canada cartoonists in Canada, you know, he's been doing this for, for decades. There aren't that many political cartoonists left in Canada. They're all generally rather old men who have been doing it for a very long time. And I think that after a while, some of them, frankly, do get a bit stale in their in their style. They, you know, continue to draw the same sort of things. Their political commentary becomes very predictable. And I think in a lot of cases, the political commentary becomes very shrill and very conventional wisdom-y, you know? So in the same sense that, like, you know, the narrative during the Jody Wilson-Raybould thing was that, yeah, she was a sort of heroic victim of, of, you know, Justin Trudeau, who in those days was very much being portrayed as a great sort of villain. You know, Michael Deatter drew that. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump is, you know, presented as a great monster because of the things that are happening at the U.S. border. Michael Deatter draws that. Like, it's not particularly inspired. It's, it's rather quite stale and quite predictable. And again, like, I just from a cartoonist perspective, I can understand how, you know, sort of the, the controversy to sort of talent ratio is kind of a little bit out of whack here. That the cartoons are provoking a lot of controversy, but they're not really saying anything that's so profound that it's really worth uh, keeping on board. Well, he's got a lot of attention, and I think the job offers are likely rolling in. Probably CNN is number one. Uh, but we'll wait and see where it goes. Just quickly before I let you go, do you ever see the day where political cartoonists are just not allowed anymore because it's, it, we're just we're too politically correct finally? Yeah, I mean, and I, I've written about this. I wrote about a piece about this for uh, National Review a while ago. You might recall that there was a, a controversy about uh, Serena Williams, mm -hmm. and there was a cartoon of her throwing one of her trademark uh, temper tantrums. And, you know, a lot of people came out and said, like, oh, this is mean and this is racist and this is, you know, anti-feminist and all this kind of thing. And what I realized is that, you know, in the sensitivities of our time, it's very difficult to have a artistic medium of commentary that's basically based around drawing unflattering representations of public figures. You know, it just, it strikes people as just really crude and gross and disrespectful and mean-spirited. And, you know, perhaps a lot of it is. And so perhaps it, this, this is an art medium that's kind of fading. As I said, there's just not that many people who do it anymore. I frankly don't do it myself anymore. So, you know, yeah, I think the door is perhaps closing. That's a shame. It is a shame to see uh, that kind of art form uh, die. But nonetheless, always uh, interested in your opinion on it. JJ, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And that is JJ McCullough joining us tonight here on Point on Global News Radio.